the abundant grace and mercy of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. And it is yours today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We give great thanks for that, perhaps especially today, given the high bar that Jesus has set for you and for me. Yet Christ comes also for you and will come again so that while you have not met the mark, you are made new, completely apart from these things in the forgiveness of your sins. So while you will be used up for the sake of your family and your neighbors in this old world, now in Christ, you will be raised from the grave. And here is your freedom. Amen. Now I must share a word of greeting and a word of thanks. I greet you on behalf of the sinners and the saints of Bethel Lutheran Church in Rochester. Some of you have connections there, and so on occasion, I hear about you. And I give thanks for the message of salvation being preached here and shared among this congregation. I also thank you on behalf of my family. It is a great joy to have been invited to come back to First Lutheran and share in the ministry of the gospel with you all this week and in celebration of the 100th anniversary of this congregation. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you for your gracious welcome. I left you over seven years ago now. Then I had just married my bride, Erin, and was on my way to Rochester one last time, hightailing I-90 in the words of some familiar crooners that you may know. Together, Aaron and I now have six kids. Anna, Lucas, and Wesley, along with their mother, Aaron, invited me into their family life, and they have taught me much about being a father and a husband. In the past seven years have come three more lovely little rascals, Rafe, Josiah, and Solvay, and they are here along with Wesley and Lucas and their mom. And indeed, they remind me that I still have much to learn about being a father and a husband. But what a delight they all are, and what a privilege for me to introduce them to you and to introduce them to you all and introduce you to them. You have a full quiver here at First Lutheran of fine preachers at your beck and call more than most congregations. Yet you have made room in this 100th year for some of your former preachers to come back and take another shot at it. Thank you to the pastors, thank you to the staff, and thank you to the congregation for sharing in this work of proclamation. Here we go. Some months ago, I was quite pleased after many emails uh, reminding me to find a date for this year uh, to come back. Pastor Lars and Zachary and Shirley Barlow especially uh, were good at this and patient with me. I give thanks for that too. Uh, and finally, I was quite pleased to solidify this date to come back and share the gospel with you. I was quite pleased about this, that is, until I actually looked at the scripture texts assigned to the lectionary this day. And then I thought that my friends here at First Lutheran had played a great joke on me, that surely this was not what I was going to come back and preach on. But uh, the joke was on me, and it was completely at my own uh, decision. Uh, and then I began to realize it wasn't actually that funny, because I began to feel the weight of these texts on my life and anticipated you feeling the weight of them 
on your lives too. Well, today you've heard this word. We hear in Deuteronomy that if you walk in the ways of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and statutes and rules, then you shall live and multiply. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, then you shall surely perish and not live long in the land. Well, that seems pretty clear there in Deuteronomy. It seems that the choice is ours, doesn't it? It sounds that way. The law, when kept at a vague distance, seems almost doable, maybe even attractive. It is a siren song to our self-righteous best selves, lured by Instagram-like visions of the perfect life. And if you're on social media at all, you know that there are uh, these uh, channels that you can consume, giving you a picture of what life should look like, what it could be. And what a beautiful song this most holy word sings that we have heard. It is beautiful. Until we hear Jesus' very precise preaching in a continuation on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and he begins to sharpen the law regarding anger, murder, lust, adultery, divorce, and lying. Now I must confess to you that when I was a kid in Moorhead, Minnesota, I went to Sunday school I worshiped, I sang in the youth choirs at First Lutheran Church in Fargo. I received my third grade Bible, and I even read parts of it occasionally at night before I fell asleep. I was taught the Ten Commandments in Sunday school and confirmation, and while I knew that I couldn't keep them all, I knew that much, there was a period of time in my young life when I thought I could make a pretty good shot at never breaking two of them anyway in my lifetime. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery. Those seemed doable to me. That is, until I ran into Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount and Luther's explanations in the small catechism. That Jesus teaches that if you are angry with your brother, then you are guilty of murder. And the problem was, I had a brother, and I couldn't go a week without anger of some sort or hurling an insult his direction if not a physical object and boom there went the fifth commandment out the window but at least I still had adultery mastered avoiding it that is and then I became a teenage boy and I read Jesus word that for anyone who looks at another with lustful intent they have already committed adultery in their heart And boom, there went the sixth commandment, and I was laid bare right there with Jimmy Carter. You know, God's word has a way of doing this. And likely for you this day, upon hearing Jesus' words, you are being laid bare of your righteousness as well. But Jesus is not done here. He goes on, and it was the words that came next that really began to worry me in my older life, even as a pastor here especially as I began to consider marriage. When Jesus takes up his teaching on divorce, you might wonder, as I have, how anyone who is divorced could remarry. Well, I had given up my quest of keeping at least two of the commandments. I did not want to willfully break them or have anyone else do this, right? And I suspect this teaching hits pretty close to home for many who hear this word today whose lives 
have been affected by divorce in any way. Even in our day, while we take great pains to try to be loosed from the bonds of the law, maybe especially we've done this in regard to marriage and sexuality, but the grip of the law has not loosened, has it, but actually tightens. And adultery remains a strong word, full of accusation and guilt. And divorce is not that far behind it. So what do we do? Well, I should point out, first of all, that Jesus' teaching on divorce here, among his teaching on anger and lust, is meant to protect life, to keep marriage safe, and families and children, for that matter. And women, who were distinctly vulnerable given the latitudes men possessed for a legal divorce in Jesus' day, are to be protected in this light. So I must say that the law was given to protect life then, and it's given today to do the same. Now out of the blue, uh, just last week on a Monday night Bible study, I was given a small confirmation booklet written by another former preacher here at First Lutheran, Al Rognes. I know you hear Al's name here and there. But in this, book, in this booklet, he takes up all sorts of topics that confirmation students are dying to read about, I'm sure, including sex and love. Regarding sex, in his very brief and accessible form, he says, the sex act and a love that lasts, that is marriage, belong together. If you separate them, you get hurt, others get hurt, and you disobey God. A little later he writes, many will tell you that this high and cherished notion of sex is old-fashioned and rather silly, and that no one thinks like that anymore. People have been saying that for centuries, and they've been wrong. Now, Al wrote that to be published in 1977, but I don't know that he would recognize uh, some of the notions that we have developed in our day. But indeed, in the interest of protection of life, marriage, and family, Jesus does not relax the law as it relates to sex and marriage or anger or lying, but actually seems to raise the bar. This is good, by the way, for the sake of life. But I don't have to tell you that it may not feel good when you are underneath it as we are today. For the law, even out of Jesus' mouth, and maybe especially so, while working to protect life, always accuses. And it does not know where to stop. It makes of us, it makes of you, a murderer, an adulterer, and a liar. There is no hiding for any of us. I've learned a thing or two about hiding as a father. It's funny how kids, when they have something that they know they're not supposed to have, will just put it behind their back and imagine that you, as a parent, do not see it. And they'll walk around the house and think, I am in, uh, made in the shade. I have what I want and nobody sees it. But of course we do. I wonder if God sees us in a similar light. Our three-year-old Solvay had a pair of scissors that she knew she was not supposed to have. Her five-year-old brother saw the scissors and he said, Solvay, you, you can't have that. And she said, but I'm hiding it, as if that made it okay. And he replied, you can't hide from God. Jonah tried to hide from God and God put him in a whale. 
Now, this is a story he'd been learning at preschool, so he knew it very well, and he knew that it was true. Solve wasn't so sure. She responded, that is silly. Jonah was never put in a whale. But Josiah, giver of the law, like his namesake, defiantly said, no, it is not silly. God did it. The law always accuses, doesn't it? I'll never forget one evening that I was here in this building some years ago. It was after a Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner, and I noticed on the sign that you have a pancake dinner coming up uh, in a week or so. Well, after this pancake dinner, it must have been Marnie or one of the pancake cooks who gave me a big container of unused pancake batter uh, to take home. I was single at the time and probably looked like I did not know how to feed myself, and that uh, was partially true. Uh, so I gladly took it. I walked up the stairs to the office at the end of the evening, uh, put the container of pancake batter on the ledge above the stairs, and thats I probably don't have to tell you the rest of the story, do I? <laughs> well, I will. I uh, went into my pocket to get keys, opened the office door, uh, and hit the container of pancake batter with my elbow, uh, and it went over the ledge, and in slow motion, it fell all the way down, all contained until it hit the bottom of the stairs. And right there in front of the grand portrait of another former preacher and father figure of this congregation, uh, Dr. Glenn, the pancake batter exploded all over the wall and the carpet and the woodwork, and it made a huge mess. And I can tell you, I've been there this morning uh, and you can still see pancake batter <laughs> on the wall. Though I tried to clean it up now, <laughs> and I did uh, eventually confess to the custodial staff, and they did a good job cleaning the carpet. Um, I thought I was alone, by the way, but then I heard uh, a faint chuckle from someone, a congregation member who I see here this morning sitting in the uh, seating area uh, laughing at my expense, thinking this was quite a good joke. Uh, so there is no hiding it, not uh, from congregation members or even Dr. Glenn, who sits there with his hand in the Bible, uh, looking at me, spilling my pancake batter, guilty. Thankfully, Jesus' word does not end with the law. But in fact, he comes to do quite another thing. That is to take away your sins and raise you to eternal life. At some point, uh, some years ago, my wife Erin began using confession and absolution as part of her bedtime ritual with Anna and Lucas and Wesley when they were younger. Wesley was quite taken with this practice, wondering what Jesus did with all of his sins. Perhaps they were under the bed. Or maybe, if not there, perhaps Jesus put them in the church basement. Now there's an idea. Well, he couldn't let this good news go on, however, and when his neighborhood friends would be naughty, he would threaten them with forgiveness, dragging them to his mom, Aaron, and telling them, my mom's really good at this, and you'll feel lots better. Well, like Jonah... God knows how to find even a hiding, unwilling preacher in order that sinful Nineveh could hear his word of mercy. And I think that's actually a great image for a 100th anniversary for a congregation, that God has gotten his word out there one way or another, and that is worthy of celebration. And so now his word arrives for you.
let me drag you back, as Wesley would, to the one who is really good at forgiveness. You who have been accused by these words this morning, Jesus comes to forgive you. You who yearn for healing, whether it be from your anger with a brother or sister, a grudge held for a short time or a long time, or whether you yearn for healing from lust that cannot stop taking selfishly as it does not know how, which does not trust that God will provide what you need day to day, or whether you yearn for release from challenges in your relationships, maybe your marriage or perhaps divorce, whether you've been caught up in your own lies or the lies of another, Jesus now comes to free you. Jesus now comes not by loosening, not by lowering the demands of the law, but by completing the law, by dying on the cross for your sake, and by being raised up again. Now the law still exists to tell our bodies what to do and what not to do, and indeed, we need this. But it does not have the last word. Now you live in mercy, grace, and salvation of Christ. And in light of this promise, you will be raised up with the sinners and saints who have heard this word before you. For the last 100 years, sitting in the pews here at First Lutheran, and for all time, that this word of Jesus has gone out. And for the next 100 years and beyond that it continues to go out. In Christ alone now, you are forgiven. By Christ alone, you are made free. Amen.